Hey, this is Pastor Sam, and thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. I want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever prayed for something and sought God on something and said, God, just, you know, if you'll answer this prayer, if you'll do this, and then he delivers and he answers your prayer, but on the other side of it, you're like, whoa, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be. Has that ever happened? Like you've prayed for something and God shows up and he answers the prayer and then you get that answered prayer and you get, on the, get there and you're like, whoa, wait a second. This is like totally throwing me off, key, off kilter here. This is nothing like I thought it was going to be. Has that ever happened to you? That happened to me with this church. Um, <laughs> like six years ago, I left uh, Georgia. I grew up on, over on the east side, moved down to Georgia. I went to school and all that stuff, and I was a youth pastor down there. And uh, I was praying. I was like, God, you know, I really want to start a church. I want to move back to the metro Detroit area. And so I was going to start a church at 8 Mile and Kelly. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's over on the east side. It's kind of a convergence where, you know, East Point, Harper Woods, Detroit, Warren, all that stuff kind of come together in a culmination right there at 8 Mile and Kelly. And so I, I had a, a vision and that God was going to move me back to Detroit and I was going to start a church there and it was going to be a melting pot of socioeconomic people and a melting pot of racial reconciliation and that was really where my heart was and what I wanted to do. And then God was like, hey Sam, here's a church in Madison Heights. And I was like, oh, awesome, okay. And so I showed up. And um, for those of you who have seen old pictures, this place was like someone threw up orange everywhere. And like it just touched everything. And everything was orange and wood panel and sparkly. And it was crazy. And it was nothing like I thought it was gonna be. You know, I prayed to God. And I was like, God, you know, if you can you know, move me back to Michigan, the metro Detroit area, and if you could give me just a, a space that I could create, you know, a, a place for people to have a community and to see Jesus together. And then he like laughingly said, here, here's this in Madison Heights, go there. And it was crazy for a couple of years, but it has been, it, it's, it's wound up being better than I could have ever imagined. I mean, the community and the people here and what God has done in the lives of the people here has been absolutely mind-blowing. But at first glance, it was like, God, this is not what I prayed for. You know, like, quit playing a joke on me here. And, and it's, it's weird that on the other side of it, it was something totally different than I had anticipated. Now, if you were here last week, we started our series that we were calling Jesus for President. And we explained the kind of tongue-in-cheekness of that title, and it's going to unplay for you uh, some more today. But we talked about last week, and we looked at the story of the Hebrews, or the Israelites, or God's chosen people, right? And it was launched through Abraham, and we followed their journey for a little while, where God offered them an alternative to the empirical rule, right? God offered them something different than the empire, something different than big government and kingdoms and kingships and, and slavery and all these different things that come with it. God offered them an alternative, but the Hebrews, they wanted the status quo. They kept looking around at all the kingdoms around them and said, no, I want what they got. I want what they got. We want a king. We want this. We want that. And, and God gives them a king, but with the kings come the oppression and comes the, the, the slavery and the corruption and all the things that come with that. And so the Hebrews come back to God and they say, we want an alternative. We want something different. This is terrible. This is awful. Give us something different. And so today what we're going to look at is how God answers that prayer. And God sends them an alternative. God sends them a king to establish a different kind of kingdom. But when they got it, it was totally different than anything they had expected. 
It was totally different than anything that they were prepared for. So let's pray together, and then we'll jump right into this. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the time that we get to spend singing praise and adoration to you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to hang out with one another, and to spend some time just you know, talking and, and, and building and deepening and defining relationships with one another. And God, I pray this morning as we open your word, and we look at, 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 at you sending your son to this earth, I pray that you would open us up to be receptive to the truth you want to speak to us today. I pray that we'd check our baggage at the door and that we would just open our minds and we'd soften our hearts. And I pray that you would meet with us today. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. So when Jesus, when God sends Jesus to this planet, essentially it was to be an alternative to the empirical kingship. It was an alternative to the Caesars and to the emperors and the empires and all of this stuff. And so God sends Jesus, and, and when he showed up, it really pissed everybody off. Do you guys realize that? Like, you read the story, and you see that, and you say, why was everybody so mad? I mean, he comes, and he speaks love, and, and he's not trying to fight everybody. He's not coming in with, like, a sword ready to, like, fight, sword fight Caesar or anything. Why was everyone so angry? What, is that just a question that I've asked, or do you guys fully understand the full breadth of the theology behind it? No, okay, so you've maybe asked these questions as well. And I couldn't understand it until I started looking at the language that Jesus was using, and it's language that we take for granted. It's language that we use all the time as the church, and we've kind of adopted it as our own, but the reality is it was not our own. We totally ripped it off. We ripped it off from the current culture when Jesus shows up. And so I feel like if we spend some time kind of looking at some of these words and, and some of the definitions they meant then, and then the definition that we take them to mean and that Jesus interpreted them to mean, it'll kind of give us a stark contrast into the different kind of empire and different kind of kingdom that Jesus is trying to establish. Right? Because they use these empirical terminology to, to describe their government and their kingships and their understanding of it. But when Jesus shows up, he uses the same words, but gives them completely different definitions. The first word I want to look at is this word basilia. And the word basilia means empire or kingdom. And so the idea when you would say the word basilia, this, this word empire or kingdom, it was a term used for the Roman Empire. And the head of the Roman Empire was Caesar. And this was a common terminology. Like if I said, who's the president of the United States of America, everyone would know who that is. And it would be a common thread and a common terminology, nothing that needed any further clarification or definition. But when Jesus shows up, he uses this term, Basilia, to mean the kingdom of God. And the head of the kingdom of God is Yahweh, which is in direct contrast and opposition to the terminology that the, kingdom, that, that, that the Roman Empire was using at the time. And how many of you have heard the word gospel or good news? Right? And we think that this is, this is you know, uh, pre predominantly just a Christian terminology. Well, it wasn't at the time. The word is evangelion. And evangelion, it means gospel or good news. But what this was, it was an imperial announcement, an imperial pronouncement in the first century. And it was typically like, da -da -da, right? They had like the, the things and the, you guys ever seen Robin Hood? Right? You know what I'm talking about? When they're like, da -da -da, and the horns come out and the banners drop and all that stuff. That's essentially what Evangelion was back then. It was this empirical pronouncement, and it was by, with flags and a political ceremony, and it was typically to say that they'd won a distant battle or that the new heir to the throne had been born. I mean, this was good news. It was the gospel. It was a big proclamation that was to take place, but then Jesus shows up, and he uses his terminology, Evangelion, to mean Jesus' good news of the kingdom of God, of the Basilia which is the kingdom of God, not the Roman Empire with Caesar. 
And so he's using this same terminology to mean completely different things. For instance, the terminology of Christ. For some reason, we've thought that that means that that's God incarnate and that Jesus Christ is that's like original. That's like Jesus was the only Christ. He's the only Christ. He's the Messiah, all this stuff, right? That wasn't the case in the first century. That was a commonly used term. It's the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah. And so it was known by the Romans as the king of the Jews. That was the Christ in the, in, in the first century. And so when this was the king of the Jews had already been granted to Herod. And so that's why he's freaking out when they say Jesus, the Messiah is being born. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only one person fills the role of the king of the Jews. And that's me currently. Right. And so that was a very commonly used terminology. So when Jesus shows up and uses this term Messiah and the Christ, it means something completely different and he gives it completely new definition and terminology or even the the term son of God that we ascribe to Jesus so freely. I mean, these are all Christian words, right? They're not really used anymore outside the context of Christianity, but the son of God, that was very normal for Caesars and emperors and leaders to be known as the son of God a divinely appointed leader to the people. But when Jesus shows up, it's more, he, he more commonly spoke of himself as the son of man, but it carried the same sort of weight and context. And then there's this Greek word called ecclesia. And ecclesia, back then, it, it's what we now translate as the church, right? We, we call it the ecclesia. And um, so the ecclesia back then was a local public assembly that met in the Roman Empire. So it was a subculture of the greater culture of the Roman Empire, and it was a lot like a town meeting. In this this ecclesia, what they would do is they would bestow citizenship, they would discuss local political concerns, and they would assign elders, and then they offered prayer and worship to the Caesar. So there was no separation between the political and the secular and all this stuff. That's what ecclesia was in the first century. So when Jesus shows up, and they start talking about ecclesia in Acts chapter 2, when they use this terminology... And they, they knew exactly what that was. Oh, that's citizenship. That's, you know, that's worship to Caesar. That's bowing in prostration to him. That's electing elders. That's doing all of these different things. But when they showed up, they used it for the early church. And they emphasized that followers of Jesus were called to participate in the world as local communities within the alternative culture. Does that make sense? And so when, when he's painting all these word pictures, it's sort of the same but not really. I mean, it's a church in Michigan, but it's not at Aiton Kelly. It's something totally different and totally repackaged and reimagined and redreamed. And it was this idea that through the ecclesia of the church, they would have new citizenship. It just wasn't to the Pax Romana. They would have new citizenship and they would elect elders and they would have praise and worship, but it wasn't to Caesar. It was to God Almighty. And so he comes through and he starts redefining and um, reshaping and repackaging all this terminology to paint a whole new kingdom that's getting ready to take place. A whole new kingdom that is among them. There's this word um, that's pronounced perusia. And this was the terminology for when Caesar would leave a town and he would be coming back to that town. Because it was a big deal if Caesar came to your town. It was this idea of perusia and it literally meant the return of Caesar, right? That is the word that Jesus used to describe his second coming. He used this word perusia. So when he said this, everybody was like, oh, like the Caesar's coming back to the town. That's a really big deal. He's like, no, my second coming. He uses the terminology perusia as the second coming of Jesus in contrast to the second coming of Caesar, saying this is a much bigger deal and painting this big word picture. Are are there any like grammar and, and word geeks in here that are like, wow, this is cool. The rest of you are like, 
what? Wake me back up when they start playing music. But this is, I mean, this is really interesting and cool stuff. The, the, the word savior, it's the Greek word soter, and it, it literally means healer and preserver. And this is what Caesar Augustus was. He was savior. He was seen as the one who healed the chaos of Rome and led them into the golden age, right? He was known as the savior. But then when Jesus shows up, he becomes the new savior. He becomes a savior and takes on that title and that verbiage. And then the term faith. Faith is not just a a Christian word. This was a normal part of their vernacular in the first century. It was a term used for trust in and allegiance to Rome and to the empire, and I have faith in the empire, the Pax Romana. It had much to do with loyalty as it did uh, like a faithful husband. They were saying we are loyal. We have faith to one another. And then faith becomes this trust and allegiance and hope in Jesus when he shows up on the scene. And so he's, he's giving a stark contrast and difference to the empirical approach to living, but he's using a lot of the same terminology. Or you have this word Lord, which is kyrios in Greek. And Lord was the name for, you know, the ruler. And particularly the supreme ruler was known as the Lord. And Lord of Lord and King of Kings. These are all titles that were used before Jesus showed up with different contemporaries of Jesus. And so when he shows up and they start calling him the Lord and the Christ and the Messiah, I mean, this was a big deal. Or the terminology Emmanuel. You know, we sing that song around Christmas time and we think, oh, yeah, that's That's the name that the angel thought up when he was talking to Mary, right? Like, it was original. That wasn't original either. Are some of you guys feeling like totally ripped off right now? You're like, oh my gosh, dude, be original. But Emmanuel was a word. It was the manifestation of the presence of the will of the gods, right? That was the idea of this terminology, Emmanuel. And it was a title that was claimed by emperors like, uh, what, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, and Domitian. These guys all called themselves Emmanuel, I'm the manifestation of the will of the gods. I'm Emmanuel. And then Jesus shows up and he says, no, this means God with us, like prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures. He says, I'm the Messiah. And he later, later it, became, it you know, became known that that was what was prophesied to Mary by the angel, this Emmanuel. And so it was a redefinition, once again, of terminology. The word worship. The word worship that's used back in the first century was proskinesis. And proskinesis was essentially this idea of practice of involving the act of prostration or bowing down in submission, in worship before an emperor or, or a ruler. It was laying prostrate, bowing in submission. You know, Wayne's World, we talk about it all the time. Wayne and Garth, meet Alice Cooper. They were proskinesis, right? You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that was so theolo- theological. But when Jesus shows up, he uses this word proskuneo, which has the same root word. And this word proskuneo means bowing before God and praise and adoration. And so he takes this stuff and flips it all around. So when we're reading scripture and we're seeing this this sort of campaign trail of Jesus, this ministry of Jesus where he's inaugurating his new kingdom in a different kingdom. And he's using all of this terminology in first century context. These people are saying, do you ever notice why the, the scripture's saying when people are standing around listening to him talk, they're confused? We're reading it going, Well, yeah, okay, that makes total sense. But they're flipping out because he's saying the same words that they're using, but they mean something totally different. And so he comes and he's using these words. And so when he says things like Matthew chapter six, verse 33, where he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, seek first his basilia and all of this stuff. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, 
how is this adding up? Because when Jesus is saying this, they were hearing this as a direct contrast to the Basilia of Rome. He's saying in direct contrast, stop seeking the kingdom of the empire, seek the kingdom of heaven. Completely different things. But it sounds very similar to the onlooker. And so when Jesus is doing this and he's establishing this different kind of culture, this different kind of kingdom, this different approach to life, he's saying don't subscribe to the Basilia of Rome. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In Mark chapter 15, verse 16, when he says to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Go and preach the good news. So when Jesus uses this word evangelion, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Da, 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 da. This royal proclamation that carried so much weight and depth and importance. He says, this stuff is so important. Go and tell everybody. Proclaim this new gospel, this good news. They knew exactly what that meant. That it was a big, 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 big deal. But it was in direct contrast to all the stuff that they had known at the time. It was in direct contrast to the cultural norms. And so Jesus was taking the language of the day and he was turning it upside down and backwards to redefine and giving new definitions to common words, introducing a new kingdom. And this new kingdom was different. This new kingdom was set apart. It was complete contrast to the social norms. And so Jesus was called the Messiah and the Christ and the Son of God, the Savior, Lord, Emmanuel, all these different things, all of which were designated to the Roman kings and Caesars and emperors of the day. So Jesus comes in and he uses political jargon, which I think is interesting. And Jesus comes in and uses political titles to where the onlooker would look and say, oh, okay, I, I kind of see what's going on here. But the overarching theme and message of his kingdom was love, which was also totally different. Totally different than the empirical norm. Jesus comes and he's proclaiming love. Song of Songs refers to it in chapter two, verse four, where it says his banner over me is love. And those of you growing up in kids' church know exactly where I'm going with this. His banner over you, his banner over me, his banner over us is love, love, love. Did none of y'all go to kids' church? Or was my kids' pastor cooler than yours? I guess that's what it is. Okay, does anyone know that song? No, okay, a few of you. Okay, those are the ones that are going to heaven. Make sure you're friends with them. Make sure you ask them your questions. But, um, you know, Jesus shows up, and, and the banner that he's waving is one of love. Rather than waving the banner of Rome which was this freedom and this, this peace and this security and this is where we're going with things. We wave the banner of Jesus, which is love and love and love. That's the banner of Jesus. And so he comes giving this new kingdom with a whole new concept. He says, we're waving the banner of Jesus, not the banner of Rome, not the banner of the United States of America, we're waving the banner of Jesus, not any other nation or empire that's vying for our allegiance. He says, we're waving the banner of Jesus first and foremost. That's what's paramount. Waving the banner of Jesus, which is love, love, love. We serve, trust, 
and follow the creator above anyone or anything else. Do you hear me this morning? We serve, trust, and follow the creator above and beyond anything or anyone else. Anything or anyone. You see, Jesus wasn't using this language to climb Caesar's ladder to say, I want to be in charge. I want to come and take over the Roman Empire, and I want to be the guy. Jesus wasn't wearing a God bless Rome t-shirt, right? That's not, that's not what was happening in this campaign trail. He wasn't trying to claim Rome for God. That wasn't his goal. I'm going to claim Rome for God. That's, that's not what his kingdom looks like. But for some reason, modern Christianity is trying to claim Rome for God. We need prayer back in the schools. We need to claim America for Jesus. We need to, you know, take this country back for Jesus. God bless America. Is that the message that Jesus was sending? It wasn't. I'm sorry, but it wasn't. He wasn't trying to reform Rome. He was saying, guys, this isn't a whole nother conversation. This is on a whole nother level. This is completely different than anything that you see coming. Anything that you've experience. Jesus was urging his followers to be unique, peculiar, a set-apart people. I mean, that started like we talked about last week, all the way back with Abraham, saying, I'm calling you out to be set apart, to be unique, to be peculiar. He didn't pray that the governments of this world would become more religious. That's not what Jesus was praying. God, if you could just give the emperor of Rome, let them be a Christian. Hallelujah, glory to me. We'll make this happen. Right? That was not a prayer of Jesus. He wasn't looking to reform the governments or make the governments more religious. He taught his followers to be the light of the world. He taught his followers to be the light of the world and to cultivate an alternative society and culture. One that's grounded and founded, built and operated on Love. That's where Jesus was pointing. That's what Jesus was bringing to the table. I've been reading this book, and there was a quote in this book that rocked. I was reading a book. I don't read books very often, so I need a pat on the back for that one. I was reading a book. Yes. Yes, I know how to read. Thank you. And um, one, of these, one of these paragraphs in this book, I was like, man, I need to paraphrase that. No, I don't. I just need to straight up read it to you because he says it better than I can. He says this, Christians sometimes try to assess how they or others are doing on the basis of such things as how successfully they conquer a particular sin or how much prayer and Bible study they do, how regularly they attend and give to the church and so forth. But rarely do we honestly ask the question that scripture places at the center of everything. Are we growing in our capacity to love all people? Do we have an increasing love for our sisters and brothers in Christ as well as for those for whom Christ died who are yet outside the church? Are we increasing in our capacity to ascribe unsurpassable, love, unsurpassable worth to people whom society judges have no worth? Guys, that's monstrous. That's huge. If that doesn't kidney shot you, you're not breathing. We judge how we're doing by, hey, look, I overconquered that sin, or hey, look, I've only done this or that this week. And it's like, no, 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 the banner that we need to be waving is love. 
And are we growing in our capacity to love all people, not just people that look like us, not just people that think like us, not just people that believe like us. Are we growing in our capacity to love all people as Christ loves all people? That's, do you see how different this is? Do you see how different the kingdom of God is? Do you see how different the kingdom that Jesus is pushing is? How countercultural and different it is from the empirical approach? Because see, I get feedback all the time, consistent feedback. The most consistent feedback I get about this faith community, which boggles my mind, is that we talk about love too much. What? Like, when are we going to start nailing people to the wall on sin? When are we going to start, you know, calling sin, sin and, and, and keeping people accountable and getting down their throat and making sure that they're not looking at pornography and making sure they're not doing this and making sure they're not doing that? What? What? Banner over me, the banner over you, the banner over us is love, 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 love. And that's going to continue. We are always going to talk about love too much because that's what it is. That's what it's all about. That's the banner that Jesus is waving. That's the kingdom that Jesus shows up to proclaim. He's shouting love ever so subtly using the political jargon and the, and the, the, you know, the, the language of the times. But what he's saying is love, love, love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. And if you get sick of hearing about love, there are 50 other churches, even in Madison Heights, that you can go to. There's the doors. But in this place... We're talking about love, 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 because that's the banner that we are waving. That is the kingdom in which we are living for that supersedes any other kingdom or any other sort of nationalism or responsibility that we have. Just don't leave until I'm done talking because that'll be awkward. Okay? But I believe that some of us hear that this morning that Jesus, I feel like we need to hear that, that Jesus came on the scene and he screamed love ever, ever so subtly. I mean, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Or no, 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 it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and get all your crap together, and make sure that you are not gossiping, or overeating, or cheating on your girlfriend, and then I'll think about giving you rest, is what it says. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am really hard and strict and angry and judgmental in heart. No, it says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, how much of an antithesis is that to the empire? Jesus shows up and he's saying, guys, this is the way that it is. My way is different my way is different. You know what's crazy about Jesus' ministry? It's characterized by the worse that someone is, the more they're attracted to him. You see it all throughout scriptures. The worse off someone is, the more they're attracted to Jesus. There's not apprehension. There's not, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh, uh. no, they, they straight up run to him. Can we say the same of the local church? Absolutely not. Because the banner that we're waving is obviously not love, love, love. And so this morning, this morning, I feel like many of us need to hear that. 
not only do we need to hear that the banner that Jesus comes waving is love, but we need to hear that Jesus loves you and that he came for you and that he sacrificed himself for you. That's step one, is being able to receive that love. And then once we're able to receive that love, you know what we're called to do? Reflect that love and love others. That's the motto of his kingdom. That's his, his campaign trail. You know, make America great or I'm with her. He just says, love, straight up, supersedes everything. Supersedes everything. That's right, up to the stars or whatever you said. <laughs> Jesus shows up and he's bringing a new kind of kingdom and a banner of love. And he says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says, come and follow me. I'm establishing a new kingdom. And it's not necessarily what you're expecting. He's saying, I'll give you rest. And my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And our banner is love, love, love. Well, well, Jesus, are we reclaiming Rome? No, we're not. Are we reforming our current government? No, we're not. Are we revolting against the current regime? No, we're not. Are we going to vote in a religious leader? No, we're not. We're simply going to love God and love people. And we're going to be the light of the world. That's what we're going to do. For some of you, that's a breath of fresh air during this political season. For others of you, are probably not going to come back. And that's okay. You can find another church where they're going to, you know, encourage you to vote for Trump. And you can do that if you'd like. Um, but imagine... Imagine if the people of God stopped worrying about political parties every four years and stopped, stopped just obsessing over political parties and, 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 and political debates on Facebook and all these things. What if we stopped doing that and started living love every single day? Imagine that. Imagine the stark contrast of our country. If the people of God didn't just get awakened to issues every four years when there's presidential debates on TV that are going to entertain us and make us laugh. But we actually said, you know what? I'm going to be the change I want to see in this world, right? What if we actually started living love every single day rather than thinking every four years we're going to have some sort of impact on the world? That's what drives me crazy about these political seasons. And, I, and remember, I told you at the beginning of this thing that I'm not a political guru. It's not even a hobby of mine. I'm barely even interested in it. I just like to laugh. So I watch the stuff, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying that I know everything about politics, but what I am saying is that you vote every once in a while, but you change the world every single day. And Jesus calls us to change the world every single day. And the way he calls us to change the world every single day is love, 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 love. That's how he's called us to do it. And so some of us in this room, we need to go all the way back to step one and we need to accept that love and say, whoa, okay, I know I'm screwed up. I know I got all kinds of crap going on in my life, but I receive the love that you're giving me. Because he doesn't say, get all your crap together and then come to me. No, he says, come on, come on with it. I got love for everybody, right? And he's ready. So if some of you are at step one and you need to receive that love this morning, you say, God, I'm here and I receive what you have for me. Others of you though, 
You need to start reflecting the love that you've received. You're all about getting love for yourself. You're like, yeah, I love, I'll shower in the love. But I ain't loving you. You're different than me. You're on the other political aisle. Your beliefs are different. You look different. You like different music. You listen to country music. I can't love you if you listen to country music. Many of you feel that way about me. And I love country music and I'm here to stake my flag. I love country music. But that's the reality of it. We're willing to accept it, but we're not willing to reflect it. And so some of us in here, we need to receive it, but others of us in here, we need to start living it day in and day out. You feel me? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for sending your son to bridge the gap between a broken, fractured humanity and a holy God. I pray this morning for the people in this room who need to accept and receive that love on the deepest levels to realize that you love them just where they are, exactly how they are right now. That literally nothing in the entire universe has to change for you to love them fully right now. God, I pray for those of us who in here who have received that love, but we're so, we're quick to receive, but very, very slow to give. I pray that you send your Holy Spirit to convict us and to lead us and to guide us into reflecting the love of God and let the banner of our lives be love. Let us live love every single day as citizens of your kingdom. It's in contrast to the empirical kingdom, but it's a kingdom of love. God, for those of us who are going to leave the church because we talk about love too much, be with them as well. Give them peace and grace and understanding. God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, challenged you, and that you experience true life change. Make sure you head over to iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc.